2: Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and today we're talking NBA off the top with our guy Kevin O'Connor. He's back. KOC, what's going on, man? I'm
1: fired up to be here, baby. (laughs) Let's go, Tate. Yeah,
2: we get to talk about trades. This is the best time of the year in the NBA. Let's do it. In case you missed it, KOC, I'm talking a lot of football on the show, and to give you a little teaser, Nora will be on later talking about the power rankings of the NFL, talking about Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. I'm sure you've heard about that, Um, but first... We gotta talk about the big news of the day in the world of the ringer, in the world of basketball and beyond. And we're talking about Dame Dalla is officially a Milwaukee Buck. KOC, what was your initial reaction when you saw the news?
1: A level of shock. Right. Because the Bucks in a vacuum with Drew Holiday in his thirties, only two years left on his contract, previously said he plans on retiring after this current deal. It seemed like they just didn't have enough. Especially more than some of the other teams that were out there, but the Raptors, from mm. what I understand, were not offering Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam or OG and Obi. No, seems other...
2: like one of those guys would have to go yes, for Dame, right?
1: Absolutely. In the Heat, they had their offer with multiple first-round draft picks: Tyler Hero, Nikola Jovic, but that wasn't better than what the Blazers feel like that they could mm. get with the two swaps from the Bucks in the future, the unprotected pick in the future, and with the young assets they get in return, and DeAndre Ayton, a young upside player in the three-way with the Suns. But then also, Drew Holiday. I don't think it's a coincidence that the day before the deal happens, he comes out and says, "I, you know, I'm not going to retire in two years. Mm. That increases his value around the league because there were people that did really take his previous statement seriously about, yeah, I think I'm going to retire after my current contract, but that changes things now. I think any contender would want Drew Holiday and the Blazers could probably get a haul for him by flipping him maybe by this weekend.
2: Yeah, let's work back. We're going to talk about Drew here at the end and talk about you know kind of the prospects. A lot of teams obviously putting uh, their names out there saying they want Drew Holiday. The irony of all this is that a couple of days ago in the Milwaukee Sentinel, um, Drew Holiday said to the world he wanted to retire as <laughs> a buck and two days later insert this trade for Dame Lillard. And if you haven't been keeping up with the NBA offseason, the big story was Giannis Antetokounmpo goes in the New York Times. He says if the Milwaukee Bucks aren't willing to be a championship contender, then he has to go someplace else. Well, it sounds like the Bucks heard him loud and clear. They make their biggest move since they traded for Drew Holiday back in the 2020-21 season when they won the NBA championship. And now when you look at the odds, KOC, they're the favorites. To win the NBA championship. Do you think that they should be the favorites now that they have Dame and Giannis together?
1: I do think the Bucks should be the favorites. You, you look at what that dynamic could be between Giannis and the DeCumpo and Damian Lillard. Neither of those guys have ever played with a player as great as the other person has. Like Dame now has Giannis as potentially a willing role guy, an elite finisher. If teams are switching that mm. pick and roll uh, duo against them, one of them is going to have a matchup advantage. Damian Lillard, the dynamic scorer that he is with and without the ball, how he could operate next to Chris Middleton, I just think the Bucs, when you think about Giannis and Dame at the core of their offense with Brooke Lopez spacing from you know 35 feet, Chris Middleton as a secondary option, and then a plethora of different guys that can throw at that fifth spot on the floor, Jay Crowder, Pat Connaughton, a young guy like Marjon Beauchamp. Mm. They are a deep team up top with the amount of starred level talent they have, but they also have some options on their bench and I think you know they get an edge ahead of the Celtics at this point. I had the Celtics previously as the favorites in the East. I put the Bucks one spot ahead of them and that's out of respect mostly for what Giannis has proven in the playoffs and what Deem has proven despite having less than ideal supporting cast throughout his entire career. And a
2: lot of people have been bringing up this clip from the All-Star game a couple of years ago when Giannis was drafting <laughs> yeah. his team and you know. <laughs> first! Yeah right. LeBron James was sitting there and he's like I already know who you know Giannis is going to take because he's all about loyalty right? And then he <laughs> doesn't take his teammate Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday in the background you know Kyle Mann pointed this out kind it's like a sideways look, like what's going on here? Dame and Giannis have kind of uh, talked about their affinity for each other throughout the years. Um, it seems like they have a, a respect for each other. And also, Giannis, in case you missed it, he's a little bit of a different dude. He doesn't have many friends in the NBA. And Dame kind of, in the same way, kind of isolates himself. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's friendly with lots of people, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. So these two guys who are isolated stars, loyal to their franchises, now they come together, and it's a kind of a old-fashioned NBA way where there's a trade made and you send him to a contender. So what does that offense look like? I mean when I when I think of Dame and Giannis and I think about what it looks like in my mind, I just think of space, right? All the space that Giannis has never had, he will he seemingly have it now, right?
1: For sure. And I mean as good as Drew Holiday is his benefit was on the defensive end of the floor. Right. One of the best point-of-attack defenders in the entire league and a versatile wing defender. So you lose that by going to Dame. But what you gain on offense, I think, is such a significant upgrade that their offense has the potential to be absolutely unstoppable. Because with Damian Lillard, compared to Drew Holiday, listen, like Drew's a solid player. He's a mm. solid player. He can handle the ball. He can do some things offensively. But... He put up Eric Bledsoe-level efficiency numbers in the postseason. He just wasn't a potent scorer. Damian Lillard is elite deficiency in isolations, in pick-and-rolls against the toughest playoff defenders. And so now you pair him with Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, as you said, he creates space with his ability to attack the basket from the perimeter, his ability to hover near the rim in the dunker spot. The, these guys together, you think about how our team's going to defend them, they have like one of the toughest big guys to defend, and then one of the toughest small guys to defend. The only fit that would have been better for Giannis is Stephen Curry, but <laughs> Steph isn't available, so right. you get the next best thing in Damian Lord. It's gonna be like just I think it's gonna be beautiful basketball to watch as long as Adrian Griffin, a rookie head coach, uh, properly installs the system and runs the team. That's really the the lone question mark that I have about the Bucks, just like with Boston last year with Joe Mizzoula. Um, But we'll see. He's got enough pieces that you should still be able to make it work at a high. Level. And sometimes it's as
2: simple as you have, if not the best player, one of the best players in basketball, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I've seen a lot of people talk about Dame's defense. I will say this: you don't have to switch on defense. It is a choice that you make. If you don't want to switch, you don't have to switch. And they
1: drop a lot, like yeah, they, right. Like Brook Lopez and Giannis too,
2: and talk about that rim protection. I mean, on the oh defensive end, you, you cannot find two better rim protectors that play off of each other when you talk about Brook Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo, because Brook can space on the offensive end. So when you have that on the backside, who cares if Dame gets beat off the dribble? He's, you, you still got to deal with Giannis and Brook Lopez, right? I mean, sure. as simple as that.
1: I mean, and Giannis now suddenly is going to become a, a potential contender for defensive player of the year as well. Because, you know, even if Dame is getting burned at times because he's coasting during the regular season, saving it for the playoffs, momную <laughs> Giannis is going to get a lot of opportunities to clean up near the rim, and not to mention the lineup flexibility. You could go with Brooke and Giannis, or you could just go with Giannis at the 5, or you could go Jumbo and mm-hmm. throw Bobby Portis out at the there three, too, yeah. right? So like they've done that at times. So I think with the Bucs... Slide Bucks,
2: Middleton to the 2. Yes. I mean, it, you're then, talking about a big lineup.
1: Absolutely. If Middleton's at the 2 and then Dame is the lone small at the 1, I, I just think this Bucks team has so many different ways to, to beat you. A lot of it's going to come down to those variables. You know, how does Adrian Griffin pr- produces a head coach. Uh, Chris Middleton had some injuries last year. He was not his, himself. How does he bounce back? It seems like all indications are that he's healthy, but he needs to prove that on the floor. Other than that, this Bucks team, I mean, like they are – absolutely filthy and I'm, I'm excited to watch them. I really am.
2: I really am and I think it's good for the NBA in general um, having a team like the Bucks in the East and a team like the Nuggets in the West where you yeah, have yeah, yeah. these primo stars you have teams constructed around them they have supplemental stars when you talk about a Jamal Murray, when you talk about an Aaron Gordon when you talk about a Chris Middleton and a Dame Lillard they're really well constructed teams and as far as the super team era of it all we have Phoenix which we'll talk about them in a little bit but Milwaukee is quote unquote done it the, the the right way, um, which leads me to my next question. Did they give up too much? Because I've seen people say this um, that, you know, with the pick swaps, with losing Drew Holiday, um, you know, they lose Grayson Allen, uh, pull one out for Grayson Allen. But do, do <laughs> that's, you, that's
1: an upgrade, losing Grayson Allen. I would say it's an upgrade, KFC. <laughs> I always
2: thought they couldn't win with him on the team. So maybe that, that's just my own bias there. But um, do you think that the Bucs, th- this is a fair deal from their side? Like they, they didn't give up too much to go get Dame. I,
1: I think it's completely fair from the Milwaukee side. I mean, you got to give whatever it takes to get an upgrade like Damian Lillard. The giving up, yes, you give up an unprotected pick in the future at a time that maybe Giannis isn't there anymore. Maybe you stink by that point. Maybe those swaps end up, you know, very good picks. But the point is winning now Mm. and this is a team that's going all in with an all-time level player in Giannis and they're saying hey we're gonna do whatever it takes to win with you and this isn't like when the Cavs traded a first round pick for Channing Frye or Richard Jefferson back in the LeBron Mm. days Uh, this isn't that type of thing this is them getting Damian Lillard (laughs) It's worth it. Absolutely is worth it.
2: And you got two top 75 guys in their primes oh, on the same goodness. team. I mean, anybody would take that. That's what the Lakers are trying to sell with LeBron, who's not in his prime, but he's still in this post-prime, you know, kind of aura era. And then you got Anthony Davis. So, I mean, when you have two top 75
1: guys, and you you're doing said pretty it, well. in his prime. That's the thing that gets overlooked with Dame. He just had his (laughs) career-high scoring season with points per game and scoring efficiency, true shooting percentage, effective field goal, whatever Mm. you want to look at. It was Dame's best season statistically.
2: I love that. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers, what they got in this deal, and then we'll eventually talk about the Phoenix Suns (laughs) because I have some questions for KOC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm still sitting here with Kevin O'Connor. We're trying to uh, size up what happened here in the NBA, a seismic move. We saw Damian Lillard go to the Milwaukee Bucks in case you missed it. But now we got to talk about a team who got a former number 1 pick in DeAndre Ayton, a disgruntled star, now going to Portland. Portland's getting some assets, obviously, with Drew Holiday. How do we grade what Portland got in the end after this entire Dame Lillard saga throughout the summer?
1: It's an incomplete right now until we find out what they're actually getting back for Drew Holiday. Mm -hmm. But on the surface, considering the fact that Drew Holiday has come out and said he's not retiring in a year and a half, and the fact that they should be able to get a haul from him from any number of interested contenders, it looks pretty good right now. Because with DeAndre Ayton, as you said, with Phoenix, it just wasn't working there. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant did not have a level of trust in him to be the guy. The Suns saw it. like They make it run to the finals, but after that, ever since he gets his big contract, he failed you know, to rebound a ball against Jokic. He had lazy moments. He had the poor relationship with Monty Williams. I think they were in a place that they felt like they had to move on. But for Portland, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting a young guy who has shown potential, and that's the upside that you should be invested in here. So I think for the Blazers, getting Aiton makes a heck of a lot of sense. Getting those Bucks picks in the future is a better bet than getting the future Heat picks that were being offered. Because the Bucks, I mean, look, like Giannis, at least for the next two, three, four years, will be invested with Damian Lillard. But after that, by the time that 2029 pick comes up, Maybe by that point he's gone or he's declined, and those Bucks picks could be top ten. So I think for the Blazers they came out with a good haul for now, but we'll see what they end up getting for Drew Holiday.
2: And when you look at that Blazers roster now, it kind of the timelines make more sense, right? You got yes. Sharp, you got Simons, and obviously you got Scoot Henderson. So now when you have Scoot and you got Aiton, maybe Aiton buys into you know his future in Portland more than he did Young, in Phoenix.
1: Up and coming team, and he's signed, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He,
2: he's already locked in. And he's already got his second contract. We know he tweeted that years ago. Oh, it's all about God. the second I,
1: contract. Dude, that quote is burned in my brain. <laughs> my, my my definition of NBA success is getting a second contract, and he got it. He got and it. And he's not been the same guy ever since he got it.
2: Well, that uh right. it happens, but he did get paid, <laughs> and congratulations to DA. Let's talk about Miami because Miami Heat fans have been putting out the propaganda for quite some time. They said this is the best we can do. It was a very Paul and stars approach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the way that they, you know, decided how to do this deal, right? They they looked and they said, okay, best I can do is Tyler Hero, uh, a few first round picks. You can't get Jaime Haquez, you can't get Nikola Jovic, right? There, there's can't get Caleb Martin, right? There was there was just people that weren't weren't on the table for Miami, but they said that's the best we can do. And now this happens, your rival team that you just beat in the playoffs. Um, you have a history with Giannis, right? There was even implications they wanted to recruit Giannis to Miami. And now the two guys that they wanted to recruit are on the same team, and they're going against them next year. And Jimmy Butler makes a video, and he says they're tampering. So, like, the Miami side of this all is a circus, KFC. How do we sift through that that whole issue? It's brutal. It's brutal, right?
1: It's brutal. I even mean,
2: Pat Riley's getting fingers pointed at him. The, the, the sure. guy who is the Godfather that we all know, like, oh, watch out for Pat Riley. Now people were trying to to make puns and jokes on his name. That's mm-hmm. how deep we are in this. It,
1: it it's like they a very... even canceled Winning
2: Time KOC. <laughs> I
1: know this is not good for <laughs> Pat Riley. That's was a bad omen for him. Um, but uh, you know, I think for the Heat here, this is a tough spot to be in. Mm. Uh, like, yes, you've made two of the last four finals, and yes, you had the miraculous run you're minutes away from losing in the play-in you you win 44 games in the regular season you go all the way to the finals with a bunch of you know undrafted guys and second round picks like it's an amazing story that they got all the way there but then they got blasted in five games and it was proven that they need more and then they pass on the opportunity to go get Bradley Beal this summer with the hopes of getting Damian Lillard that didn't happen a year after having a chance to go get Donovan Mitchell and you don't get him either And I think for the Heat, you look at the list of guys they've had interest in ever since getting Jimmy Butler in 2019, whether it was Chris Paul or those names I just mentioned, they've bypassed all those opportunities by not going all the way in. Like They weren't willing to trade Hamei Hakus, as you said. Mm -hmm. Tyler Hero, it's not their fault that teams around the league didn't have a ton of interest in him. I don't think from the Portland side of things that they were going to get anything – as valuable for Tyler Hero that they can get for Drew Holiday. We'll find that out for sure this weekend. So in some ways, it's not Miami's fault. But in others, I mean, like, dude, you're in this situation now when you've been so close. Are you going to go get Drew Holiday now? Is Portland even going to be willing to trade with you? Are you going to go wait for somebody else? Who's next? They need to make a move. It's just a matter of, when they're going to make it, and if that opportunity is even available. Like, it sucks for Heat fans. Like, it really does. Mm -hmm. does. But ultimately, I mean, they were fed all this propaganda for months, and I think everybody bought into it, but This is why I've been hammering home the point. The offer is just not that good. Mm -hmm. It's not that good of an offer. I don't think the Bucks offer was necessarily amazing, but it was still better than the Heat offer, considering the Drew Holiday X Factor.
2: Especially when you think about pick swaps, right? And and you Mm -hmm. talked about that, forecasting the future. Which franchise is probably going to stay at a competitive level Probably Miami, just based on the history. That's why you say, hey, I look at 2028, 2029, 2030. I'd much rather do pick swaps and their unprotected pick, pick swaps in 2028 and 2030 with the Milwaukee Bucks. That is, I think, a big crux of the argument on the other side of that. But I understand the frustration from Miami fans. I could only imagine what it feels like to be Tyler Hero. And he even, you know, was joking on Twitter. He was like, until next summer um, when all of the, you know, his name is back in all these talks. So it can't be good for team chemistry also if you're the Miami Heat and you have that Miami Heat culture. Um, I know they signed R.J. Hampton. I'm sure there's some other moves on the table. So let's talk about that next domino, which is Drew Holiday. And uh, one team that has been floated out is the team that drafted him, obviously, the Philadelphia 76ers, James Harden. He's not going to go to media days. Maybe they could do something where, you know, Harden goes to the Clippers. Uh, uh, picks go to Portland Holiday you know goes to the Sixers right we 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 figure this whole triangle out but where do you see Drew Holiday going and, and where does it make the most sense and maybe it is Miami
1: I think I think it's one of those contending teams. I mean, if I'm the Heat, I'm offering effectively the same package for Drew Holiday <laughs> that I did for Damian Lillard. Right. I just think Drew would be an absolutely perfect fit for the Heat's needs, providing secondary playmaking next to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and also just his absolutely amazing defense. Pairing him with Butler and and Adebayo, protecting the rim with all their versatility, it could be devastating on the defensive end. So Miami should be going hard after Drew Holiday at this point. But again, it's the same question. Would they actually have the best offer? Mm-hmm. Because whether it's a team like Philadelphia, maybe you want to bet against them in their future picks. Whether it's the Clippers going directly for Drew Holiday with Kawhi and Paul George as old as they are, maybe you want their distant future picks instead. Or some younger you know, surprise team like the Magic, or whether it's a team like the Knicks, they have a bunch of picks mm. that they could offer. Like Miami should be going after Drew Holiday, but I think there's just so many teams that could end up stepping up with a better deal in the same way that the Bucks did to uh, outbid the heat offer.
2: And what do you need now if you're in the East? You need someone who can guard Dame Lillard on the perimeter, right? And I think Celtics fans are probably kicking themselves a little bit because Marcus Smart would would be the obvious answer, right? The former defensive player of the year. He would be the guy that you would sick on Dame Lillard in the playoffs. But now you have a guy that not only does he have his own talent defensively, but he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. If you're Miami, if you brought him in to go against Dame, so cool. if, you, if you're the Boston <laughs> Celtics, let me ask yeah. you about the Celtics. Why, why would they not get involved and try to bring in Holiday to kind of cover that you know defensive side on the perimeter and have someone that they can throw at Dane?
1: I mean, for the Celtics, it's tough in terms of the players you'd have to give up to match salaries. You're mm-hmm. either having to give up Malcolm Brogdon.
2: Who wants to leave, who right? Who wants to
1: leave, so you're happy giving up him. Okay. You, but then you also have to give up either Derek White Robert Williams, or Al Horford. And if you're giving up Robert Williams with Malcolm Brogdon, maybe you're cool with that because you got Chris Depp's Porzingis and you have Al Horford. You, you have some depth at the big man position. So I, I would lean towards yes. You can deal up to four future first-round draft picks, up to eight second-round draft picks. Mm. The Celtics have a lot of pieces that they could deal. Drew Holiday would be an absolute perfect fit, for, as you said. And he's been a, he'd has been he be an upgrade over Malcolm Brogdon, obviously. That goes without saying. You have Derek White and Drew Holiday in your backcourt. That's two guys you right. could stick on Damian Lillard in a series. Two guys you could put on Mitchell and Garland mm-hmm. if you're facing them. A guy you could put on Stephen Curry if the Warriors make a run or Jamal Murray. There's just so many guys that guard point of attack defense is important to have. Defending pick and rolls but also just defending those guys who are stellar off-ball players. Dame is not just some on-ball guy. He no, is, he, he can yes. be a shooting guard as well as a point guard. 100%. Right. So I think that's where Boston should be stepping up here, even if it means sacrificing Robert Williams. Because, listen, like I love Time Lord, great player. But
2: you need consistency. You need to know he's going to play. 100%. Like
1: he, right. has, he has minutes limited. Limited. He misses games. You already have some risks in the front court You know, with Chris Epps, Porzingis, and Al Horford. If I'm Boston, I'm going after Drew and having more certainty in my backcourt.
2: I like that. Another team I want to throw out there, and this is the other team that they played in the 2022 finals, the Golden State Warriors. Um, There seems to be interest from their side. Drew Holiday would be a perfect fit to throw into that system. They have the contract, like you said, Mm -hmm. with Chris Paul, even though Chris Paul, by all accounts, is bought in. He's excited to be the sixth starter. I've never heard this sort of language before. (laughs) Maybe back when Carmelo was saying he would not come off the bench. Um, But in general, do you think Golden State makes a move? And and, and does it make sense for them to make a move for Drew Holiday? Holiday.
1: Yeah, it does. Uh, I, to me, Drew Holiday is just a... Mike a,
2: Dunleavy. This a, could be the moment. A,
1: would be wild if they traded right. Chris Paul after months of these quotes <laughs> coming out saying how happy he is and the six, being the sixth starter and all that. How the guys are trying to work him in. Drew Holiday is just a better fit mm. with his versatility as a wing defender, as a guard defender. Uh, you're You're you'd are you're, a, you're a, you be getting the player who's the best in the league at defending your best player in Stephen Curry and pairing those two guys together. Uh, I think the Warriors should go for it. It's just a matter of if they want to actually give Chris Paul a chance first and see how that goes. Yeah,
2: you also have the Lakers who have D'Angelo Russell, a contract that they could use to go get Drew Holiday. So it's another team that you know can throw, throw their hat in the ring. Um, so Drew Holiday, the sweepstakes is officially on. We're excited to see what happens there. I think, like you said, once he said he's not going to retire after this contract. That was big. Yeah, the floodgates kind of opened up and a lot of teams said, hey, we could use Drew Holiday for three, four years, and he could help us contend for a championship. We've seen him do it before. Uh, last thing, KOC, before I let you get out of here, I got the NBA championship odds in front of me thanks to FanDuel. Bucks are the favorite at plus 360. Boston Celtics, plus 490. Denver Nuggets, the defending champs, at plus 500. Suns, plus 600. Then we get into Lakers, plus 1,400. Warriors, plus 1,600. Who right now, KOC, gut check, would you say, is probably, just based on the odds, the best bet uh, if you had to bet on the NBA uh, championship. I think year. I
1: think the, the funnest odds are the Warriors uh, chip on their shoulder. They...
2: I can't believe those odds for the Warriors. Yeah. I'm licking my chops at those odds. Yeah. I, I saw Stephen Curry running in the sand in Dubai and I mm-hmm. said uh, I think he's trying to win five. Um, for I, sure. And he feels like a Tim Duncan candidate where he wins five at the end of his career. Then you go back to 2016 and say, man, he could have won that one. Just like Tim Duncan in 2013. You know what I mean? And you start talking yourself into, damn, Steph could have won seven, seven
1: yeah. titles. You know? <laughs> 100% (laughs) 100% true i I just think the warriors because like of all those teams not many of them have flexibility for a big move the warriors have the chris paul contract right they have young players like jonathan kaminga and moses moody they have future draft picks that they could deal as well they have options to make a big move this season or multiple you know many you know medium-sized moves that help bolster their chances so i think the warriors are the best bet the funnest bet But ultimately, I'd still pick Denver to represent the West in the NBA Finals.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair pick. Don't ever bet against Nikola Jokic. He's Mm -hmm. Kevin O'Connor. Appreciate you coming on the show talking about Dame Lillard. Coming up, we have Nora joining us, and she is going to talk about Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, and a whole lot more. KOC, any thoughts on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? I
1: I hope this one works out. (laughs) I I like it. Look at that. KOC
2: just wants love. If not,
1: we get another great breakup album. Uh, It's going to be great.
2: Either way, We win. Welcome back to Through the Ringer, and uh, I am in a different studio right now this week, and I'm fired up because we do have our great guest back. She has been on the show the past few weeks. She has been breaking down all things football, and you know her very well. Nora, it is great to see you.
0: Oh, Tate, it is great to see you on, (laughs) on this very normal week
2: it's very normal there's a lot happening in your world um, and we will talk about the the Taylor Swift side of things coming up let's start with the football side of things because you know I love to do this I love to look at the power rankings <laughs> that the ringer puts out and I love to ask you questions about it I'm gonna run through the power rankings right now first we got the 49ers three and0 they're number one uh, Brock Purdy still good enough to be number one of the power rankings so we love to see that we got the Chiefs number two they're two and one of course Dolphins number three three and O Bills two and one and they're number number four we got the Cowboys number five and they're also a two to one so my first question Nora is what are your thoughts on this top five how do you feel about this top five last week we said the Dolphins probably should be number one are you upset that they're not number one
0: yeah I kind of I mean I'm not upset I think this makes sense I think the the power rankings are good uh that's probably my top five give or take you know you could make an argument about the Cowboys After that performance against the Cardinals, but I think that's the right group. I would put the dolphins ahead of Kansas city. I'm just a little bit more Mm. impressed by a 70 burger against the Broncos than putting up 40 against the bears. But for the most part, I think it's, it's, it's right there.
2: Are we giving Taylor Swift credit for this bump? I think that uh, just because of, uh, you know what I mean, the coverage this weekend, we all watched them blow out the Bears, and and maybe there's a little bit subconsciously in our mind to to bump them above the Dolphins. Should should we say that, or is that too far?
0: I think that's probably, I think it's a little bit more of like a lifetime achievement thing for Patrick Mahomes, but I I like where your head is going. I do worry. (laughs) I mean, they're playing the Jets on Sunday Night Football, so they'll be fine, but if the Chiefs stumble... In the mm. in the near future, I am a little bit worried that we're going to get that you know the, the the four letter word of distraction being mm. thrown around, and I don't want yeah, that for my but- dear Taylor.
2: We do not want to get into Jessica Simpson territory at all. We can talk about that <laughs> at, at some point. But uh, I also want to ask you, we have our top five. It, what about the Eagles? I've seen Eagles fans. They're very upset. They are undefeated. It hasn't been the prettiest, but it has been efficient. They have won the football games, and they are undefeated. Should they be um, a team? That, would that be the biggest omission, I guess, I should say, of the top five this week?
0: Yeah. Now, they are sixth, I believe, in the Powering Kings okay. team. So, it's, right. you know, it's not so, like we're saying. Honorable mention. Uh, definitely an honorable mention for the Eagles. The other one that I would throw out there that might be a little bit more surprising even is the Ravens. It hasn't all totally clicked yet. I feel like in Baltimore, they lost that really wonky disappointing game to the Colts. They've only looked like genuinely impressive. I've felt in the Bengals game, but I think that offense, Steven Reese and I were breaking it down on the NFL pod earlier today. And it just seems like it's really coming together there and some of their linemen, Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, I believe we're back at practice today. If they get those guys healthy, I do wonder if we're going to see Baltimore really coalesce and suddenly feel like a top five Super Bowl contender. I'm picking a horrible week to talk to you about this because they're about to play a, a Browns defense. That's really, really good. But the one thing that's giving them trouble right now is that they're not a great unit under pressure. And I think that's going to go away when some of the linemen get healthy. And other than that, the early returns on the Todd Monken offense have been sneaky good. Cause they're running the football out of 11 really well. Lamar has been a really accurate passer at all levels mm-hmm. of the field, at least when he's kept clean. So at some point during this season, I'm calling it now, you and I are gonna be breaking all of this down. And either it's gonna be about the Ravens being in that top five, or it's gonna be me going, This is ridiculous. The omission is Baltimore because I just I feel them coming on.
2: I love that. And I think Lamar is uh, suited to have a big year. I think he got the contract he wanted and now he's playing Um, like he's excited to be playing football in Baltimore. Like you said, he got a good test this weekend to see if Munkin's offense is really working against that Browns defense. Do you want to hear? Do
0: you want to hear an absolutely stupid statistic?
2: Yeah, please. I'm always down.
0: So when they when they when he scrambles out of 11 personnel, so when they spread it out, get that extra space in there. But then Lamar keeps the football scrambles. They're averaging over one EPA per play. They've only done it nine times, but Lamar scrambling with the football right now is equating to just the Ravens get a point. So if he does that, they just, you know, tally one in the points column. That's exactly what the thesis of this offensive coordinator coordinator change was, was we have an elite running quarterback. We've invested in the run game. We thought the way to support that was with a run first offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. Didn't work so well. Flip that on its head. Spread it all out. The run game's still going to be there. Lamar is still going to be Lamar. And then you're getting the best of both worlds. I think because of the injuries, it's been a little bit quiet. We haven't totally noticed, but that is happening. That is working. They have proof of concept for this
2: and when we get to the playoffs, that's going to be fascinating to watch to see how much they employ that when they know that it is working and they have it in their back pocket and if they're in a a tough spot and they need some offense, just roll Lamar out and the dual threat of Lamar with his legs or with his arm, you mentioned his accuracy this year, uh, it's hard to top that in the NFL so I love that pick. I cannot wait to see what that Ravens offense looks like against that Browns defense. I mean that Browns defense is like an offense in and of itself when they get on the field, they make things happen All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come we're going to talk about uh, a struggling relationship between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson and even some Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift who would have thought Let's talk about a team that is not so lovely to watch. That is the Minnesota Vikings. Um, There's a lot of finger-pointing that's going on. They're 0-3 right now. Kirk Cousins is seemingly playing good football, especially if you look at the stats. But um, who is to blame in Minnesota, and what do we expect? Do we think that Minnesota can kind of right this ship, or is uh, a season um, on the horizon of being lost?
0: I mean, who's to blame? Like, the cosmos, the gods, (laughs) (laughs) mathematics. Right. They've they've just been as unlucky as you can be for the amount of luck that went the Vikings' way last season. We talked about all those one-score games that they won, all of the fumble luck, the the interceptions or would be interceptions that got bobbled, all of those high variance things that worked in their favor last year. It is all it's not just that it's come crashing back down to down to earth. Now it is shocking in the opposite direction. They lost 14 fumbles all of last season, they are up to eight now. It's been three weeks. They're not this bad. The Vikings were not as good as they were last season. They're not as bad as they are right now. I actually don't think that this is the worst thing that could happen to them just because for a long time, they felt like this team sort of in, in purgatory.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And this might force them to do something crazy. And maybe that helps you know, do, do some resetting there. I actually think Brian Flores has done really interesting things with their defense and is is getting more out of less there. They're blitzing like crazy. And I think they're being clear eyed about the talent deficiencies that they have defensively in a lot of matchups and just trying to create chaos so that they can get something out of those guys because you want high variance situations when you're the lesser team talent wise, So they're not this bad, but I don't know that losing these games is the worst thing in the world for them just because it might help them decide to press the reset button a little bit. And, you know, maybe it would get them to trade Kirk to the Jets.
2: Right. I mean, I think that's the real big question, right? Everyone's waiting for them. They have their hand hovering over the reset button, and everyone's saying, just press the button, get Kirk out of here, move on. I mean, we even saw Justin Jefferson was you know, talking about the defense. The defense is trash. And, and like I said, there's just a lot of finger-pointing happening in Minnesota, and there's also a lot of talent in Minnesota. So that's why they're so fascinating. And who knows, the tank race could be on. It could be Minnesota versus Chicago. So that, that'll be uh, something that we'll watch on this show as we move forward. I also want to talk about another relationship that is uh, before we get to the real relationship that's taking uh, headlines in the NFL. uh, We'll do that after the break. But first, let's talk about Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, because these two, um, they were they were forced together. They both individually have had great success. They've won Super Bowls. Everyone thought that you plug and play. It would be great times. Uh, The first halves have looked good other than Miami. Uh, what lasts longer in Denver? I mean, or who lasts longer, I should say, between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? I mean, who's going to be the last man standing with the Denver Broncos?
0: I think it's Payton, which is, you know, normally the thing about coaches as well, at least it doesn't count against the salary cap, you can move on. But I really do think it's Payton because he is the one who had the stamp of approval from this ownership group, Russell was a decision made by people who are no longer in charge of the Broncos. And I don't think that he would have taken that job the circumstances under which he did made it pretty clear that he was coming in there with a very long leash. They let him go give Jared Stidham 10 million bucks. The implication is that this is your team. Try it out with Russ, do your best to make this better. But if It's your way or his way or the highway. It's it's going to go to Peyton and he's going to be allowed to design that organization in in the way that he wants to. the thing that's tough about that, even though I think that that is true, just because, again, he was the hire by the people who own the Broncos now, is that I would argue that it's Peyton who's failing them right now a lot more than it Mm -hmm. is Russ, who's not having an incredible season, but he's not. He's playing pretty well. The offense is just okay. They're sort of middle of the pack. But he's he ranks pretty highly in a lot of the advanced analytics statistics. Um, one that I do like is a composite score of EPA with completion percentage above expectation. So you're measuring sort of how the offense as a, as a whole is functioning, but also is the quarterback – Throwing accurate balls based on whatever situation he's in. Russ is seventh there right now. It's not awesome. He looks a lot like he's always looked. The thing that he is struggling with more now than he did earlier in his career when the Seahawks were going to the Super Bowl and winning tons of games is, is just that the mobility is not what it once was. So he's having to work the check down a lot more. He's struggling with sacks at times, but if you look at how they've performed, the issues don't seem to start with Russell Wilson. They seem to start with, first of all, the defense is not good and Mm -hmm. Peyton is an offensive coach, but historically one of the issues that have, have plagued his teams has been not great defenses and choices of defensive coordinator that don't seem to pan out. I think that is, I think the Broncos are currently suffering from that. There seems to be a lot more like drama and just weird pettiness. We had the Nathaniel Hackett thing after they get 70 points put on them by Miami. Peyton was really, really snippy in the press conference that makes headlines Mm -hmm. There's been a whole back and forth with Russ where it's, well, Peyton's going to make him wear an armband and <laughs> because he's not getting the plays off in time. And it just all feels to me like, like Russ shouldn't be the scapegoat here. I mean, it's, it's not going well. Nobody's having a career year in Denver after the, uh, the Dolphins score as many points on them as any team has scored since the sixties. But I, I, to answer your question, I do think that it's going to be Russ who goes first, but I'm, I'm not sure how far that's going to get them because when I look at the Broncos right now, coaching is failing them. It's not quarterback play.
2: Yeah, it does feel like uh, Russ is going to be the scapegoat. He's going to be the fall guy, whatever you want to call it. And um, I know I almost feel bad for him a little bit because, like you said, it's not really all on his shoulders. And if you watch the tape from that Miami game, that defense was abysmal. I mean, it was Terrible. a joke at times. I mean, what 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 Miami was able to do to them um, and lucky for them. The coach of the Dolphins was a former ball boy, so he didn't want to make history against them, right? I mean, they're lucky they're not going to be etched in NFL history forever because of Mike McDaniel's kindness and the fact that the (laughs) captains of the Dolphins said they, they didn't want to kick a field goal. So, I mean, that is the other side of it. I mean, it is insane.
0: But there's a third side of it where Sean Payton, I mean, the Dolphins went far out of their way to try to hire Sean Payton to coach the Dolphins so much so that they were punished by the NFL for tampering in order to make it happen. This was supposed to be the, the Tom Brady and Sean Payton team in Miami Mm -hmm. and Mike McDaniel, who I think probably takes a little bit of that. And not to say personally, because the Dolphins certainly took a chance in hiring him at his level of experience. And so I think he knows that there's a commitment to him there, but I don't know how much love loss there is there. Peyton manages to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And you're getting 70 points hung on you by the guy who is supposed to be the second choice behind you in Miami. So it's a little, it's gotta be a little embarrassing, even if they didn't go for the record and and try to step on their throats at the end of the game.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a little embarrassing. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, a relationship that is out in the public that everyone's talking about. Of course, I'm talking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I am still here with Nora. And, Nora, it has been way too long and way too many days. I've been waiting to talk to you about this <laughs> subject because uh, you came on our show. Um, you debunked this whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that uh, to, to disparage what you were saying. I still think you could be correct. But regardless... Taylor Swift shows up in Kansas City in the box with Travis Kelsey's mom. We get the cutaway shots. We get a touchdown. We get an exit from the stadium. We get pictures on TMZ. Where is your head right now as a Swifty? And are you still spinning like the rest of us?
0: Completely spinning. This is the craziest thing that's ever (laughs) happened. I mean, I just, I really, I'm really shocked, Tate. I have nothing else to say to you for myself. I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by this. I am really enjoying it uh Mm. it's just been delightful to see two of my favorite worlds completely collide it makes me a little bit nervous like i just hope that everyone's nice to each other but it seems like they're having a good time you know i i maintain a little bit of the skepticism that um that this is something that had existed a long time prior beyond just texting or something before Sunday, but it seems like everybody's having a good time. It seems like Taylor was having some, some beverages up in the box. Seems like Travis picked out a special game day outfit. And I don't know. I mean, it sounds like we might see her back at, at MetLife again up there in the box on Sunday.
2: Yeah, there's a uh, an alternate universe I feel like where the Empire State Building is green and white and Aaron Rodgers is 3 and 0 right now and the Chiefs are come the Super Bowl champs are coming into New York for Sunday night football and Taylor Swift is up in the box because she's, you know, you know going around the city on dates with Aaron Rodgers, right? There's there's this alternate reality oh my but instead goodness. Yeah, that would be a tough one, but, but it could be reality. But on the flip side, we have the Empire State Building is white and red because Taylor Swift ate a chicken tender with ranch and ketchup. And See, uh, uh, she was at the Chiefs game. Ranch. Seem- seemingly ranch. Some people are arguing what it could be. Um, and now she's going to be in the arena Sunday night to watch Travis Kelsey play against the New York Jets I mean that just seems surreal to me, and I can't believe it's actual reality. Do, how many cutaways? Let's do some prop culture. How many cutaways are we going to get of Taylor Swift in this game? And I think the line is set at around eight and a half right now. Um, how many I'm times will we see Swift? Me
0: over. Because come on, <laughs> the Jets are not going to put up a fight in this game right Uh, that broadcast is going to need something to talk about it's going to be all taylor all the time she's in her hometown or i guess you know her current hometown right sometimes she considers nashville her hometown but i as a new yorker like to consider it to be new york so many cutaways a million cutaways Mm.
2: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it shouldn't be the best football game. You would expect the Chiefs to go in there, handle business. We won't talk about Zach Wilson ad nauseum on this broadcast because we'll talk about Taylor Swift. Um, is there any world in which, you know, Taylor Swift ends up going to all of Travis Kelsey's games? Like, uh if, if we were gonna set the line on how many more games and the line is one and a half, would you take the over as well? Like, is Taylor Swift gonna become like a staple in the world of NFL football?
0: Well, so let's pull up the Chiefs schedule here because she goes back on the road in early November. I think she's she starts touring again in Argentina, like November 10th or something like that. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we've got Chiefs Jets this week. She'll be there. Chiefs at Vikings. I mean, if she goes to if Minnesota she goes there, for this man. Yeah, they're in love.
2: Yeah, they, they should get married if she goes to Minnesota. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um then they've got Thursday night football October 12th Broncos at Chiefs. They've got some home games in there coming up. So maybe, I mean maybe she'll get back to Kansas City. I don't know. I that's a lot of football. <laughs>
2: That's a lot of football games, but it does feel like she's in. And uh, Travis Kelsey, I think he's tried to do a good job, and I think he's done the right job as far as the PR. He hasn't really talked about it too much. He's addressed it, but he hasn't made um, you know a, a big show of it. As much as he could be in control of the he's show, he's being a fan. Um,
0: like this is it's right. going over so well with the taylor <laughs> fan base and it's because he's being a fan the way that this started right. is him being like i was at the show friendship she's bracelet. so amazing i made the friendship bracelet and so of course the <laughs> fan base loves him so far because he's like one of us he's he's taylor Swift's boyfriend maybe but he's also a public <laughs> swifty right now so it's going right. to, he's playing it pretty well i would say
2: do we think there's a world in which, like, what is the worst case scenario here? Is there a world in which it does go bad? Because even if it does go bad, yeah, more, of course. that usually means that you get an album, right? Well, I mean, so, so like, if, if you're a Swifty, you, this is the dream. This is I what you want.
0: I've had a lot of conversations with people lately about, like, the idea of, is it real? Is it PR? And, like, what that even means? Because, look, the the world of celebrity dating, I can't even imagine how strange that is, Right. So can something be mutually beneficial and everybody understands that, but then, oh, you're enjoying each other's company and she's 5'11". There's a lot of guys who, you know, don't look as great standing next to her. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe there's a little something here. All of that, I think gets very murky. If we're looking for a a line, like a, a litmus test for, is this real? We will know. When we know if we it, when we get a song, or if when we mm. feel confident that we're not getting a song, right now I can't tell you that I really think there's going to be a Travis Kelsey song. But if there is, like, I just I can't imagine. I'm just trying to like put myself in the headspace of the Taylor Swift song about Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, and it's very funny for me to think about. But that is how we will know. We may not know for years, right? But that will be my ultimate decider is if she ever thinks about him.
2: I think that is uh, the ultimate litmus test for everyone out there. It's going to be fun on Sunday Night Football. I can only imagine the ratings when it all comes in to see how many people are watching this game. So that's going to be fascinating stuff. Um, Nora, thanks so much for coming on Through the Ringer. We appreciate you giving us all the insight, as always. It's going to be a fun week in the NFL. Where can we find all your amazing work outside of what you do here uh, on this program, giving us uh, all the insights on T-Swift and Travis Kelsey?
0: TheRinger.com. Uh, I wrote a glossary if anyone is confused by some of the lingo coming out of the Taylor Swift world, or on the other hand, right. if any of the Swifties want some some guidance on the football side, that's up there. Uh, happy to help if anybody needs it. <laughs> Ringer NFL show feed, every single right. album feed, and right, right here with you, Tate.
2: I love it. Thanks so much, Nora, and thanks to everybody out there for watching Through the Ringer. We will see you on Tuesday with Cousin Sal.